Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, welcome back to Across the Romaverse. It's episode 55. It's uh, Steve and Jimmy here with you. A couple days after Roma's big, big win over Fiorentina to open this season. Uh, a, a couple days later than we usually record, but I don't know about you, Jimmy. I'm still feeling pretty good after Sunday. How are you doing today? Yeah, I'm definitely not feeling the hangover from that match win just yet. I'm happy to keep on talking about it until our next one. Yeah, it's good to start the season on a high for sure. You know, Rome actually two wins to open the season when you talk about the Conference League too, which we will mention at the end since they have the second leg coming up on Thursday. But uh, it was Roma 3-1 victors over Fiorentina on Sunday at the Olimpico. Uh, just go through some of the key moments quickly before Jimmy and I start to break down the match. So uh, the real big talking point to start the match was when uh, Dragowski, the Fiorentina keeper, got red card in the 17th minute because Tammy Abraham, Roma's new signing, who was a bit of a surprise start. I thought he would come off the bench, started the match, and had an immediate impact when he got past Dragowski outside the box. Uh, Dragowski tripped him up, got a piece of him. Arguments from Fiorentina that he was going away from goal. He wasn't going toward goal, but uh, referee made the decision, and Roman was up a man. And not long after that, 10 minutes later, Henrik Mkhitaryan scored a goal in the 26th minute, which at first was waved off uh, on a great ball from Abraham. Time just passed perfectly, so Abraham was impactful again. Uh, went to VAR. As, as VAR started taking a little bit of time, I said, oh, maybe they have something here. And, it, and they did. And it was a perfectly timed run by Mkhitaryan on the ball from Abraham. He slotted it home coolly past Terracciano, who was Fiorentina's replacement keeper after the red card. And Roma was up uh, 1-0 after 26 minutes. But Roma didn't really push the issue too much in the first half. It felt like, uh, you know, they didn't really control the match like you would expect up a man. Went into halftime 1-0. And then Roma happened when Nicolo Zaniolo, who I tweeted out and how excited I was that he was back. I messaged one of my buddies who's actually a Lazio fan, but, you know, we share Italy, uh, you know, pride in common. And I said, you know, Italy's going to be even better at the World Cup if Zaniolo stays healthy. And then lo and behold, there's the second yellow and a red card in the 52nd minute. And uh, Fiorentina found their way back into the match with a very nice Milinkovic goal in the 60th minute from the center back. Nice control in the box and uh, got it slotted at home. 
But the response was very quick from Roma. Roma actually scored four minutes later through Jordan Vare too. Another goal, which was originally called offside. Again, it went to VAR. Again, VAR took its time. And you start to think, well, maybe, just maybe it's a goal. And it was again, um, to much to Fiorentina's chagrin. Uh, and Roma was up 2-1 in the 64th. And then it was Lord Eldor Shmordov with uh, a, a beautiful run after, a, a, I have to say, a nice run by Lorenzo Pellegrini to set up the play. Um, and Vertu had a brace. Um, Vertu went from my doghouse to uh, <laughs> top of the, I guess, uh, man of the match kind of like conversation very quickly because he had a little bit of a, a gaffe to, to set up the Fiorentina play to score the goal. So he redeemed himself. Roma won 3-1. Um, the XG favored them too, 2.7 to 1.3. Um, go through some quick stats before I bring Jimmy back for his, uh, you know, opinion on some of these things, but Roma was outpossessed 58.3 to 41.7%, which is a little bit, uh, you know, disheartening considering Roma was up a man for a good 35 minutes of the match. Um, each team had 11 shots, Fiorentina eight to six on the on target shots, obviously with so much more possession out past Roma, 515 to 365. Um, and Roma, you can see was under a bit of pressure because they had 16 clearances to only five by the viola. So, a very good win for Roma, Jim, uh, but still some things to work on for sure, I'd say. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I think that, like you, I was pretty surprised that Tammy Abraham got the start. Um, I was more expecting him to maybe, you know, come in in the 45th minute, be some fresh legs, something along those lines, maybe try to unlock the game um, more than, you know, kind of dictate how it was going from the start, which is honestly what he did. Uh, from the first second, it was pretty clear to me that, First of all, training probably will help him be even better, but it's not like he had any fitness issues. Um, he was pressing the defense immediately from the word go. Um, he was really, in to a certain extent, directing the offense in a way that I don't really remember Jaco doing that frequently. Um, not only was he telling people where to go, but he was also, you know, moving forward, finding space for himself on a regular basis. And, you know, I don't want to, you know, make too much light out of the fact that Jaco is no longer with Roma, but it's a diff it's definitely a different type of striker that we have now. And it's been, it was nice. It was a breath of fresh air. Um, so yeah, I mean, from the word go, Tammy has been great. I think you can see, you know, from social media, from just the club's response to his uh, performance that even though he didn't score a goal in this match, he was arguably one of the, top three most influential players on the pitch which is a great thing to see from a signing who hasn't even done one training with the club just yet yes I, I was very impressed I, I also I rate the problem formations obviously you guys know by now and that was the one position I didn't get right because I thought Eldor would start and Tammy would you know they, they would get him to wet his feet a bit maybe they need a goal they go two striker look at some point or something he, he started and he was impactful from the beginning like you said he it's such a contrast to Jekko in terms of just the way he makes those runs like that play that got Dragowski red card. It never happens with Jekko playing striker. No offense to Jekko. He's 34 years old and he was never the paciest player to begin with, but I was very impressed with Tammy. I mean, even his dribbling, he had that one play where he uh, dribbled past a Fiorentina defender, uh, which has kind of been all over Twitter lately. His passing was on point. Those couple, he had those nice little through balls to set up Mkhitaryan and he had to pass to there too. Um, you know, he had a, powerful header on a great play from Lorenzo Pellegrini that he smashed off the bar. Very unlucky to, to not score on his debut. 
Um, you know, cramped up, I think, in about the 60-something minute, 70th minute when Eldor came on for him. But he was very influential, especially for a guy. When you look at his numbers, he only had 14 touches in the match. But it felt like he had so much more impact than those 14 touches, considering he drew the red card, the assists, and everything else. Um, you know, <laughs> we can say it kind of half-jokingly now, but already he's had more impact than Patrick Schick for about the same price tag, you know, in this one match. Um, because for all the reservations people had about, cause you know, on social media, there was like, Oh, if you have to convince this guy to come, he's not worth it, blah, blah, blah. But you know, like we mentioned last episode, you're 22 year old, 23 year old kid leaving London. You don't speak Italian. It's, it's a big decision. And you know, he seems more than motivated to be here. I mean, what did you make of his body language and everything? Yeah. He definitely looked like someone who was fighting for a lot of things from the word go. I agree with you that, you know, it's, I'm, I'm a bit older than Abraham. I'm 24. And if someone had asked me to move countries in the middle of a pandemic away from somewhere that I had been since I was like eight, I would have some hesitancy. So it's kind of understandable to me that, you know, this might've taken a bit longer than some people would have liked for this transfer to just come to fruition. But at the same time, I think that he has a lot of stuff to prove over the course of this season. Um, It's, not it's not a detriment to his ability that he was replaced by Romelu Lukaku, but he was replaced at his boyhood club by by a uh, huge signing. So that's one thing that he's going to probably feel like he wants to prove himself that mm-hmm. he's worth even even theoretically, maybe even just proving like two years down the line, I'm worth that 80 million euros, whether or not Chelsea buys him back. That's a goal to set for yourself. Um, I also think that when it comes to the World Cup, being next summer, a lot of players are going to be feeling the heat to try to impress as much as they can at the club level because of that. I think you're going to see that for better, as we're seeing with Abraham so far, and for worse, I think maybe a little bit with Zaniolo in this match. Mm-hmm. Um, but in general, I was really impressed with uh, Abraham's body language. I think that it only bodes well for his future prospects that he really, the best the best compliment that you can give to his game is that he immediately became a central focal point of the attack. And I think that maybe even that's even better than if he had, you know, gotten a couple poachers goals in this game. I think the fact that he integrated himself so easily into the offense is arguably better than if he had scored like a goal or two without including anyone else. Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, I was, that that's one thing that impressed me was the passing and that he, you know, set up a couple goals. Cause as a striker, I expected a guy who's kind of going to poach goals and, and maybe, you know, he's pacey. So he'll do those kind of things, but I never expected him to be so uh, influential in the first match in terms of, you know, you saw him like telling guys play the ball quicker or whatever. And he, he was integrated. He looks hundred percent all in since the move happened, you know, those reservations he might've had, whatever he's talked about with Pinto and probably Mourinho over the phone, uh, erase those doubts and he's all in and, and he looks to be a player for Roma and, you know, it's exciting. You and I were mentioning before we came on, we're excited this year because when you have players like this, um, who you, you know, Roma didn't just go out and get anybody to replace Jekko just because they needed a striker. They got a guy who's going to have an impact, especially if he develops, he's a 23 year old, just going on 24 year old striker. And, you know, he, I, I didn't, you know, I don't watch a lot of Chelsea, um, but he's a tall player too. You know, he probably eventually will fill out a little bit too. And, you know, he already wins aerials. He's quick. So it's, it's an exciting prospect. And uh, Mourinho now looks like he has a good good problem in attack that he actually has a, a bunch of attackers who seem like they can get the job done. I mean, 
Meyer all we've mentioned Meyer all last episode he's kind of the forgotten man and he's a guy who scored you know double digit goals last year for Roma so certainly a good thing um besides Tammy being a pleasant surprise the other thing that was probably a pleasant surprise to many Roma fans was the fact that VAR did its job this match I mean so often we've seen these like goals called back on VAR these handballs given in the box and you're like what the hell are they looking at but Jim yeah, I mean VAR, refreshing this was yeah. a nice change of pace I mean were you surprised Roma got both those goals through VAR I was that's a hard thing to say like I personally thought that they were goals but that's a different thing than like answering if I was surprised that VAR went our way like I was surprised that VAR went our way but it's not because I didn't think they were goals it's just that I'm used to refereeing decisions generally screwing with Roma and I mean maybe I've just had too many Roma Juventus matches that I've watched that seemed to turn on a poor refereeing decision on something being offsides or not. Um, but this was really encouraging for so many different reasons, but primarily it also does seem like having VAR actually work. That's something that's great. Um, one thing that is kind of interesting to me though, is that Roma's European adventure this year will not have VAR until the mm. final. I'm pretty sure the, the conference yeah. league doesn't have VAR until the final. So I, I hope that it works out in Serie A and the Copa, but uh, obviously I think we're going to be alone with uh, on the whims of the uh, referees and ECL. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, both goals, when you watch the replay and they, they had those like still images of when the ball was released, they were both goals. They were good calls. I know there were some, some people on social media accounts that were like, Oh, you know, Roma got lucky with the goal. I, I, when you look at the, the, when you look at the, the, the actual images, they were goals. Uh, VAR did its job. And actually, you mentioned Juventus from matches. Juve actually had a goal taken away in the dying minutes. Uh, what I thought Ronaldo was stealing that game for them. So kind of refreshing. I know people rejoiced on social media after that yeah. because everybody's <laughs> so used to Ronaldo and Juve getting these kind of calls that it was it, that was even more minuscule offside than what uh, was originally called against Roma. So yeah, uh, good way to start the season when uh, things go that way. I guess from a VAR perspective and. Um, yeah, you mentioned the Novar in the conference league. I know there was that the goal that Trasbanspor scored. A lot of people thought Bruno was offside. I think after they looked over the tape, I think Corriere dello Sport did say it was a, a, a right call, even if there was VAR, the goal would have counted. So mm-hmm. I guess we don't have to bemoan that too much uh, when we talk about that match later. But yeah, I mean, we know how <laughs> Novar can go against us. Just ask Chris Mullings' face from a couple of years ago in the, the Europa League, and, and we know yeah. that. <laughs> um, <laughs> So we'll see how that goes, but uh, at least it did its job for this week. And, you know, we'll hope that it continues to do its job the way it was meant to, you know, do it. I mean, that's yeah. the whole point of our um, yeah. going back to the, the pitch for Roma, the midfield, we saw some good, bad and ugly from, from Roma. Um, I guess the ugly was Vertu's misplaced pass in the Viola goal. Uh, the bad was there were a lot of gaps in the, in the, the midfield, a lot of space for, um, you know, Fiorentina to attack which still begs the question, do we need that defensive midfielder? But then the good, obviously, was Vertu's double. Uh, you know, he had that brace, uh, kind of made up for it. Cristante, I thought, had a pretty decent match overall. It's just he's not a true defensive midfielder. We've talked about this before. You know, this has been long talked about in Roma circles. Um, but one thing that Sean pointed out in his um, Sinners and Saints piece was that a lot of the, uh, I guess, culpability on the midfield actually falls on the fullbacks because the fullbacks struggled defensively a bit, and that pulled – um, Cristante and Vertu out of position more often. Uh, so that's something we'll talk about the fullbacks in just a bit too. But what did you make of the midfield double pivot with Vertu and, and Cristante, Jimmy? I thought it did 
decently. I mean, obviously, you know, Roma won three one, and neither of the and the player who got the red card wasn't in that pivot. So, given that, I can't complain too much about the double pivot. I do think that long term, it's obvious that Mourinho wants something different out of that second like deep lying midfielder yeah. than what Cristante can provide. And I mean, my personal hobby horse from the moment we signed Cristante is. You got this guy from Atlanta who scored like double digit goals as more of an attacking midfielder player. And then like DeFrancesco automatically just was like, okay, now you're basically a DM and he's been a professional about it. Don't get me wrong. Like he's even basically played as a center back. Um, And he's, I think that's the reason why managers love him so much because he will do whatever you need him to do for the club. But at the same time, if you're really trying to unlock the highest potential that this side can have, I think that thinking of him as more of either a less of a deep line midfielder or even as like a Pellegrini backup um, is probably what's best for him and for the club in the long run. Um, As for, you know, some of the uglier parts of Vertu's game, again, I feel like I can't complain too much when you score a brace. If you like, if you result in like plus one goal for the side, I don't think there's really too much to complain about um at the same time I think Veratu is a class midfielder but he's not a world-class midfielder and I think that that is kind of that that mistake is the difference um there's a reason why despite how good he has been for Roma over the past season and a half two seasons um he didn't find space in France's Euros side and that's because France has so many world-class midfielders uh, I think Vertu is like one slot behind that. And obviously I think that's one of the p- places of lesser need for upgrades in the squad. Um, but at the same time, I don't, I, I don't think that long, I don't know if Vertu is the long-term resolution at the, in that particular role either, though his match was great yesterday. Yeah. Um, Cristante, you know, I'm looking at some of the numbers and, you know, I think even Cristante, he could fit into the role there too played as the more box-to-box guy because he does have those offensive skills if he had a more defensive partner. But uh, his defensive game was pretty good. He had the most successful pressures in the team with eight, eight out of 15, 53.3% was a pretty decent percentage. But then when you look at there too, he was only successful 25% of the time, four to 16. So he still has a tendency to get beat. So when you're playing that double pivot and you're getting beat that often, that, that becomes a, an issue sometimes. That's something we've talked about in the past on, on the podcast. Um, yeah, it's hard to argue with the the Braves. You know, when you score two goals, you you instantly redeem yourself. But his passing sometimes just drives me mad. We we saw it last year a couple of times where I remember there was one match, I forget who they are playing, and he was at the top of the box trying to to start a play, and he just gave it away to somebody. It turned into an instant goal for the opposition. Um, and then just in terms of his passing overall, yes, they only 73.3%, uh, fairly low percentage. I mean, you look at Mkhitaryan, he also was only at 71.4, but compared to some of the other midfield type players, Cristante was at 85.7%. You know, we, we know his passing is one of his probably best assets for uh, a guy in his role, especially when he played defense last year, he was eight of 11 on long balls, pretty good from him. Um, but yeah, there's, you know, there's going to be talk until the end of the Mercato about a defensive midfielder. I, I don't think there's any doubt about that. Um, just because when you have these, these little gaps in the midfielder, you see the gaps at Fiorentina, you know, found their way into it's going to create some talk and then if they don't get the defensive midfielder uh how much pressure comes on to these guys and Marino to to find a solution from within and then how much talk do we hear 
about it. I don't know. Um, yeah. Another Personally, guy. I'm kind of curious yeah. to see. I think that VR is young enough. And like, obviously, you know, like he's not a physical tank in the same way as some other midfielders that we have are. Mm -hmm. um, but I wouldn't be surprised to see if Veratu keeps on making some of these mistakes because he, he won't have many matches where he gets a brace, let's be honest. Yeah. Um, and if he keeps on making these mistakes, I can imagine that his spot in the starting 11 might get a little dicey. And I could see Mourinho saying to VR, okay, your job for this season is to bulk up so you can play that Veratu role well. Because VR's biggest flaw, if you ask me, is that defensively he can get pushed around a lot. Yeah. Um, he's a really great creative midfielder. He's good at holding the ball when he's not being pushed too much. But he needs to bulk up a bit if he's going to be able to take over Veratu's job. And I think, to be honest with you, the club should be planning on having that happen sooner or later. This guy is a, probably a lock to be a Spanish international at the World Cup. He's what you think he's tw he's only 22 or 23 yeah. um like he, he is the future in the midfield unless we sell him and so if Mourinho is able to say to him okay you need to go to the weight room start looking like Zaniolo and then maybe you'll get a consistent starts instead of Veratu I could see that as being like a way to kind of have the best of both worlds where you still get a guy who can score like Veratu on his day but VR does not stri strike me as the same type of guy who's going to, you know, misplace passes over and over again and kind of cause some frustration. Um, so, yeah, I think that as much as there's probably reason to want a DM before the Mercato closes, I, for one, am pretty pessimistic on that actually happening. Um, and I think that there are in-house solutions that seem like they could be developed into um, something Mourinho could really use. Now, the question is if that lines up with the timeline that Mourinho and the fans all are expecting now after, you know, having good results so far. And I think that's going to be the biggest thing that trips up this Roma. Um, the fact that things are looking good so far is kind of contradicting a lot of the really smart tempering of expectations that the club and Mourinho and pretty much everyone associated with the club has been putting out there for the past several months. Um, how many wins can you have in a row before people start expecting like a fight for the Scudetto? I don't think we're there yet at all, but I could see Mourinho leading Roma to maybe not 10 in a row like Rudy Garcia, but like a good series of wins to start off the season. And then people's expectations might change and that might allow for less space for someone like a Bove or a Darboe or a VR to really come in and have some growing pains, but become a very useful cog in Roman's midfield. Yeah, that's a good point, especially because when you look at Roma's schedule, I don't think their next match against a big side is until the, the Derby, which is like, I think week seven or so. So, you know, they have Salernitana coming up this week, then it's an international break over Labor Day weekend here in the U.S., and then a yeah. couple other very winnable matches. And you're right, then those expectations start to grow, especially because of who the manager is too, you know? If this yeah. was you or I managing the team, they might be like, okay, you know, the guy got his first win, whatever, you know, and now it's like, well, we've got one of the best managers in the last 20 years or so managing our club. The team's off second to a, place a yeah. third of the way through. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then those, um, those pressures start to build and then there's less time to tamper expectations. Like you said, then the fans could turn quickly. Yeah, like we've seen. Yeah, I mean, just looking at the schedule as we're lining it up, uh, next Sunday, Salernitana, which should be, I mean, knock on wood, an easy win. Um, then Sassuolo, Verona, Udinese, and then Lazio on, at the end of September. Um, honestly, the only two 
there are three difficult matches that Roma has before Halloween, Um, Lazio, Juventus, and Napoli. And those are all towards the tail end of that time period. So there's a decent chance that Roma could be, you know, very much seeming like they're in that top two uh, from the word go. Um, And I hope, I'm not optimistic, but I do hope that people keep the tempered expectations in check during that time period if we're able to beat up on the minnows as much as we should be able to just because i would love it for roma to be you know fighting for the scudetto i think in the in our Serie A preview i said that we're going to hopefully get second place this year but that doesn't mean that i think it's definite and i i won't be disappointed if we end up in fourth or fifth because i know that this is supposed to be year one of a longer project yeah, for sure. And, you know, a lot of stuff to play out in this last week in the Mercato with some other clubs and that and that'll shift the balance of power a bit one way or another for Roma. So we'll see. But uh, there was one name you mentioned in there uh, in when you were talking about the midfield that I didn't put into the outline, but someone who got off the bench uh, ahead of VR and Diwara was Bove. Um, it seems like Mourinho really likes the kid. I don't expect him to be the uh, solution to the problem right now or even this season. But mm. uh I think there's there, there's something there um, because, you know, Darboe was pushed to, you know, the stands this week, not, not dressed. He was sitting there with, uh, I think it was Smalling who was injured. And he got in ahead of these other two guys who have been at the club longer and are more established players. So I, I don't know about you, but I, I'm, a, I'm a little bit excited to see what Bove can do. I'm hoping he can get a start maybe in the conference league if we get into the group stage or wherever it is, because I think there's something there. Yeah, I definitely agree that there's something there. I was, you know, I mean, it was what, 10 minutes, 15 minutes of play. But at the same time, from what I saw there, he didn't look out of place playing against Fiorentino, which in my opinion should be like fighting for a European spot this Mm -hmm. year, especially if they keep Vlaovic. So he looked like he belonged on the pitch against a pretty decent side, which is, you know, one of the first steps that you can make towards being like a productive player for in Serie A. Beyond that, I also do think that there's a decent chance that Bove being picked and being used as a sub, particularly when the game seemed relatively assured, might have been a bit of a signal from from Mourinho to these other midfielders that aren't necessarily that are kind of on the outs. I don't think Darbo is on the outs per se, but it seems pretty clear from rumor mill that they want to put him out on loan, but he hasn't really wanted to go on loan. And then there are players like Diawara who they want gone and apparently he hasn't really gotten the memo either um so i I would imagine that there's a certain extent that putting bove out on the field instead of a diawara or even giving uh darboe like you know a spot on the bench is an indicator to them that's like okay you're not in Mourinho's plans for this season for darboe or period for diawara it would be best for you to move on um now i don't want to say that too confidently because I remember back when Nicolo Zaniolo got his start against Real Madrid that everyone was saying that that was just because Di Francesco wanted a new winger and he was using him to like tell the management like oh you got to get a new winger for me ASAP and then it turned out that no he actually just thought he was incredibly talented and he was 100% correct um so I'm not gonna go 100% on that theory but I do think that it should be seen as an indicator to those guys who are kind of on the tail end of the squad that your options would be better served by going elsewhere for the season. Yeah. I, I think it could have been a, a not so subtle hint to especially Diwara and maybe a little bit VR that, you know what, 
if you want to play more, guess what? You're either going to have to really show improvement here or go elsewhere because I've got this kid who's hungry and I like him. And as of right now, he's ahead of you in the pecking order, perhaps. And, and, you know, if you're, I, I, DOR especially is the one I think from rumors they've been trying to move because he's, I think more out of favor than VR. Cause like you mentioned, VR still has a lot of potential there. Yeah. Um, you know, we know that DOR returned down. I think it was Newcastle. Latest I read was Torino. So the options are there for him. Clubs are still interested, but he's not really interested yeah. in moving. And, you know, you can understand from his perspective why he might want to prove himself, so to speak, especially, you know, you don't always get a, the chance to play for a guy like Mourinho. But yeah. if you're not going to play, then I don't know. At his age, you'd expect to want to play because he's, he's only around 24 years old himself. So he's still got a long career ahead of him. I guess maybe he says to himself, maybe I give it at least half a season to see if I can do something about it. I don't know, because he does have time ahead of him. Mm-hmm. Um, but speaking of the midfield, I had him a little bit lower down in the outline. But since we're on the midfield, let's talk about Pellegrini, because I was pretty impressed with Pellegrini on, on Sunday. I, his passing was on point, uh, 32 or 36. You know, nobody had a, a real heavy touch load like we've seen in some matches last year where guys would have like 90 touches or whatever. Uh, he had 46 touches. Um, he had five shot creating actions, one goal creating action, which didn't actually lead to a goal because it was uh, the header off the post, I'd imagine. Um, and then those five shot creating actions led the team, even ahead of Abraham's four. I, I thought Pellegrini was good, especially because he got that yellow card so early in the match in the 12th minute that I said, oh, like, you know, he could be rash once in a while, but he showed some maturity there to settle in. Um, not the best defensive game. He was only four of 16 on pressure. So similar to Vertu, we know he can also be beaten at times. But uh, the, he had that freedom in attack that I think is what we expect for him to kind of excel because he does have that trecortista type personality. And I thought he looked really good. What about you? Yeah, I definitely agree. I, I don't know. I feel like I see a lot of criticism of Pellegrini no matter how well he plays. Mm-hmm. Um, I will admit that he's not necessarily like as consistent as some of the other Romans we've had in the squad over the years. But at the same time, I definitely think that he's a huge asset to the side and I think we saw that uh on against Fiorentina uh I think that also he looks like he's still developing as a player like that type of match was not necessarily a match that I've regularly seen from him um with Roma back when he was with Sassuolo that was more the norm but again everyone knows that playing for Sassuolo versus playing for Roma is a totally different kettle of fish um and given that it was exciting to see him play that way and have it be a relatively normal match for him um or at least that was the vibe that I got that he was playing you know kind of in his wheelhouse it didn't seem like he was trying too hard to make things happen things were just happening because he was confident in his ability to play um I think that it'll be interesting to see as we get deeper into competitions as we're trying to juggle multiple competitions uh how Pellegrini, Mkhitaryan, Shamuradov and Zaniolo kind of rotate, uh, I guess along with Mayoral now, because it seems to me like we're now doing more of a four forwards situation up front than anything else. Um, but yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see how players rotate because if Pellegrini is able to show consistency from a, on a match to match level, performing like that as like his average, which would be a great average if you're asking me, um, then I definitely think that there is absolutely no good that could come from you know benching him for a couple matches like if he's going to play that way as like his average he should be playing whenever he can otherwise you have you worry that he's just going to get out of form because he hasn't been playing as much you know yeah I agree um and I, I wonder you know just thinking about it now having a more 
you know, pacey forward, a guy who's more mobile than Jekka was. I know him and Jekka were good friends, but the way he likes to kind of float around the attack and, and dictate play with his passing, I think Tammy might be a better fit with him because you have guys like Tammy and Zaniola who can run onto those balls that he likes to play yeah. um, and, and they can interchange. And we saw a lot of interchange in the Roma attack. And that's something that uh, I think will, will benefit Roma, the versatility of the forwards. You know, Shamordov, we saw um, Mkhitaryan can play across the front line. Even Zaniolo can, you know, move to the middle. We saw him. I, I, I don't have it pulled up right now, but I remember looking at the average attacking positions uh, on the pitch of the Roma 11 and Zaniolo almost lined up as like a second forward in terms of where his average position was in the, you know, 60 odd minutes that he was in the match. Um, so, it, you know, you're right. I think it's more of a four attackers than it is, you know, two, three attacking midfielders, even though by, by nature they're attacking midfielders. Also because we saw Tammy um, track back a bit too when he had to. I remember early in the match, even before he drew the red card on Dragowski, he took a ball off of somebody. We saw Mkhitaryan make a, a vital steal, I think, on the third goal. Um, so they also work very hard. Um, so you're not going to have guys that are just kind of lawyering up front, waiting for a ball over the top and, you know, biding their time, you know, just because Tammy might have 14 or 20 touches in the match, he's still working. Uh, and that's what Mourinho is going to expect from his guys. So he certainly knew to target guys that can fit his work rate. We saw with Eldor uh, Shimordov, uh, and we'll talk about him because he did it again. He didn't put the ball in the back of the net, but he made a heck of a play. Yeah. To, to unlock the defense for Vertu's second goal, Roma's third, that put the match away. I mean, Pellegrini made a great play dribbling up the, the pitch. He got it to Shimordov, who beat a, a defender on the dribble and then literally took three defenders out of the play with the pass. I mean, it was beautiful to watch. Yeah, that was an incredible sequence of events by Shimordov. And he basically confirmed to me in that play alone that he was worth his transfer fee because that's that's the type of play that you don't use that I have not seen from a Roma player not named Nicolo Zaniolo um as far back as I can honestly remember the way that he the, the best verb to describe it is slalomed he slalomed through yeah. those defenders um and made a play happen out of thin air I can't think of another player I yeah honestly I can't really think of too many other players in Serie A who would be able to do that and take something that looked like a the end of the line for an offensive run and turn it into a pretty easy goal um for Veratu. um that was just point blank very impressive um and I think it'll be interesting to see how Shamuradov and Abraham gel together uh Mourinho said post-match that he's interested in seeing them play together um in different situations so it's not they're not going to be, you know, fighting for minutes 100% of the time, which is good to know. Um, but at the same time, I think it'll be interesting to see how they're able to coexist. Um, if the style of play that we saw with the forwards um, against Fiorentina is the, is the rule and not the exception of how Roma's going to play this uh, season, then I think that there's a lot of promise there just because there was such a lack of selfishness on display um, in the forward play against Fiorentina and both of those players when they're playing unselfishly are able to create a lot of great chances for other players like it I think it goes without saying that one of the best parts of watching that match was that our forwards were incredibly influential both Shemurdov and Abraham were incredibly influential in that match and yet they didn't score a goal mm -hmm. um, and I think that that is something that's fantastic to see. Roma often has had sides where, you know, it wasn't just 
the forward scoring. Um, other than that Capo Canoniere season for Jaco, um, there's usually been a lot of democracy when it comes to who gets to score for the club, which is, you know, nice. Um, but at the same time, seeing how involved those strikers were um, in getting other people goals makes me optimistic that the side can do well with involving both of them in play, even for the full 90 minutes, depending on the scenario. Yeah. And I think, you know, Sunday might be the first time we have a chance to see that with Zaniola suspended because of the red card, it could be an opportunity for Mourinho to tinker with them uh, playing and with Eldor probably as the right wing or left wing, depending on where he feels more comfortable deploying him. He could be part of that three in the four, two, three, one, as it's written on paper, and I, you were right. The one thing you said that I really agree with is the lack of selfishness. Uh, Tammy, there were times where you thought maybe he would, you know, he's a striker. He's going to put his head down, try to go to goal. He made two great passes to set up goals. Eldor makes a great run and pass to set up a goal. I mean, I was one of the people when I saw the move for 20 million euros, I was like, I, like, I don't know. I saw this guy play a little bit of Genoa last year, but 20 million seems steep when we're talking about like Belotti and some of these guys that were mentioned at the time. Like, why not make a move for someone like that? Yeah, uh, he's showing why. I mean, I looked at his numbers just now. He played 22 minutes. He had six pressures, only two out of six successful. So 33% rate, not a great rate. But in 22 minutes, he, he pressured uh, Fiorentina six times. You know, mm-hmm. guys that played the whole match that led the, the match for Roma, 16 were the high for Vertu and Pellegrini uh, who and Mkhitaryan, who all played around 83 to 85 minutes. So if you, you know, put Eldor's rate into a per 90 clip he's he's pressuring way higher than that which you know it's probably not sustainable over 90 minutes but just shows the work rate he brings off the bench which is why even when he's not starting I think he'd be very uh useful in this kind of 2-1 scenario where Roma is pressuring the other team into making mistakes and looking for that third goal to kill off a match and just not letting them get comfortable um yeah and I think even Carlos Pettis who only played seven minutes at the end when he came in even he had a play I'm pretty sure if I remember correctly it was this match where he actually tried to pass the ball through the box rather than take a shot um, yeah. for his one shot creating action, because he's usually a guy who's dribble head down and, and just go for goal. He, he's not really a guy who last year, from what I remember, really looked for teammates too much. He kind of had that Chiesa uh, way about his game. Yeah. And I was like, wow, he actually, you know, made a good pass and slotted it through the box and turned into a goal. But I mean, even if you can get guys like him who are talented guys, you know, maybe not, up to the level we might've expected when he came from Barcelona, just because the Barcelona reputation, he could have an impact too. You know, he, he might be in contention for a start these next couple of matches. And I think Mourinho will find a way to keep these guys happy, especially and winning cures everything. You know, if you're not getting a ton of minutes, but your club is winning and you're seeing the field enough to keep you happy. I, I think that will solve a lot of problems too up front because yeah, there's a lot of players out there, but you know, Mourinho will find ways to utilize them. I think, especially if the conference league goes according to plan and we're playing every you know, three days for much of the fall, they'll all get their minutes. Yeah, exactly. I definitely think that, you know, winning alleviates all problems for a uh, sports team. And that couldn't be more true or less true for, uh, for this, any version of Roma that I've ever watched, you know, a lot of issues got papered over when the club was winning. And then naturally when uh, things started going South, that's when you started seeing article after article about, you know, every single player on the squad hating each other's guts um (laughs) so given so given that i'm kind of excited that we're seeing wins materialize now you know it kind of sets a baseline uh going forward for what you know players in the club should be expecting um and i do think it's interesting though that some of the players that i would describe as more 
I don't want to say selfish because their, their style of play isn't always 100% selfish, but I wouldn't necessarily picture them as finding that extra pass to give someone else a goal in the way that Abraham or Shamoradov did. Um, I, I found it interesting that they didn't see much of the pitch um, in the past couple of games. Like, for example, I mean, Pedro's gone, and I never really thought of Pedro as much of a creative player or a sharing player. Uh, so the fact that he's gone tells me something. Um, I'll be interested to see if El Sharawi uh, is as much of a force as a forward in this side, mm. um, because I, I don't necessarily think of him as the guy who will make the extra pass. I think of him as off, more as the guy who's going to take the shot. Yep. And you need guys who are going to take the shot in the side, don't get me wrong. But what we're seeing right now is that it sure seems like Mourinho is rewarding players who, and wanting to buy players who are very much willing to pass. Um, and I don't know if El Sharawi, especially the El Sharawi that we've seen since he's returned from China, um, is that type of player right now. Um, part of that might be uh, that he just feels like he's got something to prove and it's having a negative impact on his, you know, a bit, his interest in passing. Um, and I think, and we'll talk about Zaniola later, but I think that, you know, different players have different responses to needing to prove something. And I think that what we're seeing right now is that certain players, especially the players we've brought in, um, have something to prove, but they're, they're using it in a very positive way. And I am a little bit worried about some of the players who don't seem to be responding as positively to definitely having something to prove. Yeah, I, I think El Shore is going to be one of those guys that we're going to see how it develops for him. Because when he came back in January, I was very excited. Uh, I'm a big fan of his, but he didn't really do much at all under Fonseca after he came back, probably because he didn't play much in China. Um, and yeah, he played the last seven minutes. So it was nice to see that he did get in the match. So Mourinho will give him his chances, I think. Um, you know, I, and I think, you know, like you mentioned the conference league, I think that's going to be a big factor in how much some guys like him play because those extra matches will give plenty of opportunity. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he's going to have to produce. He's going to have to show that he can be another you know, 10 goal scorer like he was before he left Roma, if he's going to be playing this, he'll work for the side. Um, maybe not to the extent of some of the other guys, but he doesn't, he's not lazy, you know, tracking yeah. back. Um, but he also doesn't create a lot of goals uh, for others from what I can recall in his Roma career. It's mostly him scoring some nice goals. Yeah. Um, so that's something he's going to have to work on. I think in this system, you're right. Um, one other guy in attack, I just want to mention quickly, Henrik Mkhitaryan scored in his fifth straight league match. I think that is tied with like two other Roma players of the past for the you know longest streak in league matches, even though it goes back to last season. Yeah. Uh, Mickey showing that when he's healthy and he's in form, he is still a very, very important player for this team. Yeah, I mean, that's obviously the big if as he gets older and older, you know, if he's able to stay healthy long term. I certainly hope he does because he's a, he's a great player to watch. And more than that, he seems like the type of player that you want to play with if you're a, another forward or a midfielder, basically anyone who's involved with uh, the connection that Mkhitaryan br bridges between the forwards and the more deep-lying midfielders. Um, he, you know, uh, there aren't that many players who can do a double-double at, at the age of Mkhitaryan, and he did that last season. That's pretty, pretty impressive, yeah. if you ask me. And I was slightly skeptical when we were doing our roundup of how many people were saying that Mkhitaryan might do it again this season. After watching him last match, I wouldn't be super shocked. I wouldn't, I, I think it might be a, like a 10 and 10, like right on the cusp, mm -hmm. but I could really see him having a pretty big role in this club for the season, which I wasn't expecting, especially with the bad blood that he's had with Mourinho in the past. Um, so given that, 
Yeah, I mean, he's he looked great. And I mean, five matches in a row of scoring, that's that's impressive even more arguably if you have to if you realize that he had to wait a couple months for a new match, you know, like that means that it's not just about a hot streak, it's about knowing your place in the side and making something happen. Um, so I'm honestly more impressed by having that five match streak extend through the off season. Yeah. Yeah. He will be vital for him. And I think what Mourinho is going to have to do, what Fonseca didn't have maybe the luxury of doing last year, because there were less forwards, I think of this quality available on the side is just picking the right matches to rest him or, yeah. you know, only use him for 15 minutes off the bench if he's really needed, because we saw last year, I mean, the first half of the season, he was arguably in the MVP race with guys like Lukaku. Yeah. Um, and then he, he cooled off. He got hurt a little bit and, you know, he finished the season strong. So if Rome, if Mourinho can manage his minutes properly um, without overusing him in matches, he might not need to be used all the better. Cause I remember there was times last year where he would start in a Europa league match. And you're like, wow, like he's starting again. He just played like three matches in a row. And th- this year, I think they can avoid that a little bit more with El Shirari, hopefully getting a little bit more of a role and Shamoradov and all these guys. So that's certainly good. Um, one of the guys that was brought in this off season was Rui Patricio. Uh, a lot of flack about that move. Most people felt it was probably a lateral move at best to Paolo Lopez. Um, veteran guy, not flashy, you know, not like a Cranio or a Musso, guys that we have talked about that we wanted at the club, you know, would have been a much flashier long-term signing. I know Bren was very down on the Patricio signing. Uh, <laughs> he's our resident, like, goalie expert. Uh, he's written so many goalie pieces now over the last couple of years. But um, yeah. <laughs> I thought Patricio was very good on Sunday. Uh, made some good saves, really good rebound control, too. Look, if that's what we're getting from Patricio, even like three quarters of the time, because no goalkeeper is perfect. Like I'm, Donnarumma has bad games. Like mm-hmm. world-class goalkeepers have bad games. Um, I'm thrilled. Uh, that was a level of authoritativeness with the back line that I don't think I've really seen since Morgan De Sanctis. And granted, that was this is a more tr- more expensive transfer than Morgan was, but also Morgan was not the number one for his, for the Italian national team really ever. Um, so, I mean, Morgan DeSantis was really found money. Um, with Patricio, it strikes me way more as they recognized that he had had like a season or two with Wolves that weren't as good uh, up to his standards as normal. Um, and they kind of seized on that. And I'm happy they did because if he's able to play like he did against Fiorentina on a regular basis, that'll be great. And even the one goal that Roma allowed uh, against Fiorentina, I'm going to be honest, that was way more on uh, Veratu than uh, Patricio. Patricio could not really have done much about yeah. saving that goal. Um, so I've always been more up on the Patricio signing than a lot of other people. I've been up, honestly, most of the signings that we did this offseason, I've been pretty happy with. Um, but I would say that if Patricio is our starting goalkeeper for the next two to three seasons, and he's able to keep this quality for at least the next two seasons, that's a pretty good transfer by, by my estimate. Yeah. If he can play the way he played, like you said, most of the time, you know, he'll have his bad match. I'm sure here or there, make a mistake here. They're like all goal, goalkeepers do look. We saw with Chesney for Juve this past weekend, had a blunder that cost them two points. Yeah. Um, I'll take it. I mean, the, the one save, he made a couple good saves but the one that really stood out to me just in terms of how strong his hands were, was he got down low quickly on, um, I think it was a Vlaovic header, and yeah. he pretty much smothered it with his left hand, I think. He was going down to his left and didn't give up any kind of rebound. That's big because, you know, the rebounds are sometimes what kill you more than the initial shots on on some of these, you know, goals that were given up in the past. So 
impressed with him. Another guy who I was impressed with in the back was Roger Ibanez. Uh, he yeah. was very solid. You know, Vlaovic had a couple shots. Him and Mancini had a, a tough task. You know, Cristante, from what I read, uh, was tasked with Mark and Vlaovic a lot of time in the midfield. And then, you know, the defense had to do their job. And, and, and they kept him decently in check. You know, he had, like I said, I think three shots on target. None of them super dangerous, though, you know. Um, and yeah, Ibanez, for a guy who's rumored to be worth, like, what, 80 million, 90 yeah. million euros? You can blame some of that on him maybe being in his own head over the transfer rumors. But at the same time, we did Roma did a great job of controlling him in this match. Um, there was not really anything that looked like it was going to become a goal where I was like, oh man, that was really lucky that somebody got there. Um, everything seemed controlled when it came to him. Uh, yeah. And Ibanez did a great job with controlling Vlaovic. I think Cristante, if I didn't read too much about Cristante basically man-marking Vlaovic, but if that's true, then a job well done. And I kind of understand why he might not have been as effective for the rest of his midfield duties if he was also trying to control Vlaovic. Um, And yeah, just defensively in general, um, the one error was not by a defender, um, which is is nice. Um, (laughs) It's nice when you're not able to uh, just chalk in a goal, a goal or two. Um, and because, you know, Rome is going to happen. There's going to be a defensive brain fart somewhere. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, the defense looked good and nor like if we were playing against the middle for our first match and we had kept a clean sheet, I'd be like, okay, wait until we see how they perform against, you know, star players. But this was against one of the biggest stars in Serie A right now. A uh, guy who scored what twenty one goals last yeah. season. Um, so if they're able to replicate this t- type of performance that they had against Vlaovic, against you know the Jekos, the Immobiles, the uh, Ronaldos, the Dybalas, that bodes incredibly well um, for Roma's ability to you know get points from the top four, um, which is obviously the difference between Paulo Fonseca having a job in Rome right now and you know being unemployed. Um, as a side note, man, I got, I, I, I do feel a little bit bad for Fonseca at this point, just looking at this squad compared to the one that he was working with last season. Yeah. Wow. I mean, like you understand why the Freakins didn't want to invest too much before actually getting to hire a coach of their own choosing. And it sounds like he doesn't have any blood, bad blood with the ownership or Mourinho or basically anyone. Um, but at the same time, the addition of Zaniolo alone to last year's squad probably would have put us into the Europa League. That's my personal opinion. Like just having Zaniolo week in, week out probably would have gotten us to EL. Um, if we had this exact squad last season, I do wonder if like we would be in, would have been in like third or fourth place because there's just like a totally different energy that this squad has that I don't think is just down to Mourinho entirely um, compared to last season. Uh, a lot of players who are who have come in and really feel like they're bringing a like electricity to the side on a minute by minute level that weren't we didn't see last season. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, you know, and and you're right. The Freakins weren't going to invest heavily in a coach they didn't hire. Uh, and I'm sure once Mourinho was was in the works, they knew they had to invest for yeah. him to some extent. You're not just going to bring him in and say, "Here's this squad, fix it with what you have." Um, because even Mourinho would have had trouble with that. But yeah, just talking about the, the center backs in particular, when we're talking about how well the defense played, I mean, 
Ibanez and Mancini had the two best pressure percentages of the side. Mancini was seven of 12, 58.3%. Uh, mm-hmm. Ibanez five of nine, 55.6%. So they, you know, were successful with their pressure more than they were beaten, which is very important as a center back, obviously the last line of defense and yeah. uh, Ibanez, the uh, four clearances, four interceptions, you know, a, a blocked pass, you know, Mancini's numbers weren't as good from a defensive perspective, but they, they shepherded Vlaovic for the most part. Um, they played well. Even the passing numbers, if I look, yeah, both of them, their passing percentages were pretty good. Um, let's see, Mancini, five of six on long balls. Ivani is eight of 13 on long balls. So they were really good about, you know, Mancini, almost 90% passing percentage. And he was 53 of 59. Ivani is less on the ball, but 83%. That's important because we saw how influential Cristante was at times when he was in defense because he's a good passer. Mancini's also a very good passer. And so was Ibanez. And, um, yeah. In my opinion, if these two continue to play well, Smalling becomes a third center back at some point because they offer more in the offensive phase of the game too if their defense can be on the same level as Smalling, I think, and especially with Smalling's health history of late. But I like this combination if they can continue to play this way. Yeah, I definitely agree with that too. Um, I think that people are correctly very excited about what Ibanez brings to the table. Um, and I mean, you, you don't have to look very far to find a lot of people who just absolutely adore him as a player. And it's justified, don't get me wrong. But the explosion of Ibanez from being basically like a nobody that kind of, we had no idea why he was really signed from Atalanta um, to being a guy who is one of Roma's best young players has definitely taken a little bit of the shine off of Mancini's you know, stardom for this club. And I think to a certain extent that's unjustified because Mancini is an excellent center back. Um, people, you know, kind of griped about, oh, Pellegrini not being included in the Euros side uh, this summer because of like a minor injury. And is he really like, is an, an injured Pellegrini might be better than, you know, some of the other midfield options that that Italy squad, squad had. But Mancini is a darn good uh cb he's a great center back and especially with chiellini and bonucci getting older i would not be surprised at all to see him playing significant minutes um in the world cup next summer uh he he strikes me as the type of guy particularly if he has a good to great season under Mourinho this year uh who could become the future of that back line along with you know bastoni or someone along or someone like that um, for the Azuri in for the next five to six years at the very least. Yeah, I thought he was very hard done to be left out of the Euro squad in favor of Toloy. Um, you know, I guess I, yeah, the, I did not understand that. <laughs> the, the, the ability of Toloy to play a little bit of right back probably got him the the call over Mancini, but I I, I was very uh, displeased with that to say the least. And I, I think you're right. I mean, Bastoni's the star in the making of the defense, but Mancini could be a very good partner for him if, if uh, he has a good season under Mourinho because you're right, Chiellini and Bonucci not to get too much off Roma are are aging and you know maybe you can get the World Cup out of them I don't know if Chiellini even has the World Cup left in him at this point we'll see because it's 18 months away yeah um but the the part of the Roma defense that was a little bit concerning were the wingbacks or the fullbacks now now they're not really wingbacks they're more fullbacks now um you know you wonder how much Roma missed Spinazzola's influence you know Vigna showed the willingness to get forward um, a little bit in a different way than Spinazzola because it was more without the ball and receiving like cross field balls and stuff. His c- control wasn't the best in times, kind of really sprung himself a little bit better. And his 
his pressures, he was one of nine on, on the pressures defensively, which is a little bit concerning. I remember he got beat on one play that led to a really good chance for Fiorentina. Yeah. Um, so I think who left him in the dust? Was it Callahan? I can't remember who it was. I'm but pretty sure it was Callahan. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, there's some work there. Karsdorp, we're hoping he can be as good as last year. But, you know, this first match, definitely some room for improvement at the fullback positions. So, yeah, I, I definitely. So I'm a lot more forgiving of Vigna um, in this match than I am of Karsdorp, to be mm-hmm. honest with you. And I think that's because I'm, I recognize how spoiled we are by the fact that like Tammy Abraham and Elder Shamuradov have become such excellent players in this side so quickly. Um, like Shamuradov did not have the full training session, like yeah. preseason. Um, Abraham didn't have any of the preseason and they both became influential players in the side from the word go. That's great. And like, it's very impressive that both of them were able to do that. Um, don't get me wrong, but we shouldn't be expecting that out of every single player that Roma signs. Um, and I think that Vigna might just need a little bit more time to get set in, especially from a change from playing admittedly for one of the biggest clubs in Brazil, but playing in Brazil um, versus playing in Italy. I, for both Shamuradov Shimur- was already a Serie A player, um, despite not having as much history in a top league he had played in a top league before and you know Tammy Abraham had played as you know the focal point for Chelsea so it's understandable that both of them might be able to kind of fit into this side on a much quicker uh speed relatively speaking than Vina. so I'm, I'm willing to give Vina a bit of a benefit of the doubt at least for another month or so to be like okay let's see where you fit into this before I start um you know demanding that Ricardo Calafiore gets gets a start as for Karsdorp it wasn't a terrible performance. It wasn't a great one. It was like not good, not bad. It was like somewhere yeah. in between. And considering how many players played incredibly well against Fiorentina, I feel like it stood out more. Um, given that, there is a pretty big part of me that's worried long term that, you know, that great season that Karsdorp had last season could just be a blip. Um, like I haven't seen enough from him season in season out to be like okay this is his quality as a right back period you know um and he's had a lot of seasons that were kind of lost seasons whether that's due to injury or you know other things that apparently we don't really know the full story of um I will say that I'm more excited about Brian Reynolds than I think a lot of other folks are and I'm also very aware that despite the spending that Roma's done this summer the bank is definitely not you know open for business when it comes to finding replacements for every single part of our starting yeah. 11 right now. So I'm fine with having cards door be our starting right back. And if he gets into a run of poor form, bring in Reynolds. Um, we dropped a good amount of money on Reynolds granted, mm-hmm. not as much money as you know, you would on a forward or a midfielder who's young and promising, but we spent like, I think around 7 million euros on him. Um, he should be relatively ready um for the spotlight you know within the next couple of months I think would be a good expectation for him um and when he he's his entourage was interviewed recently asking about whether he would be going on loan and they said no Mourinho believes in him Mm -hmm. um do I think he's the finished article yet no but I don't think that any (laughs) defender is ever going to be the finished article before they can get a drink in the United States you know um (laughs) before you're 21 I doubt that you're going to be able to truly understand how tactical you have to be as a fullback to succeed 
in Serie A or any top flight European league, honestly. Like the Marquinhos's of the world are the exception to the rule, not the rule themselves when it comes to defenders succeeding at a young age. Um, so I'm willing to give both Calafiori and Reynolds a bit of a longer leash uh, when it comes to showing their stuff for the side. Um, and I do think that given Roma's finances, given the fact that Spinazzola's out, having Calafiori and Reynolds as the backups right now isn't the end of the world. In fact, I'd say that once again, this is just another issue of wins and the Mourinho name pushing Roma towards having high expectations for this season, even if I think that they should be a little bit more tempered and hopefully they will be a little more tempered throughout the season. Like I, I hope that the first loss doesn't mean that people start pelting eggs at the bus, you know? Um, so that, I mean, I think that if people had slightly more tempered expectations that they'd be fine with Reynolds as a backup or Vina and Calafiori being our left backs until Spinazzola comes back. Um, I hope that as it goes, as the time goes by, both Reynolds, Karsdorp, and Vigna show themselves to be fullbacks that are, you know, usable in a Serie A context. I'm, I'm pretty confident that at the very least, Vigna will. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think Vigna will prove to be a solid signing. I, you know, and and we have to temper expectations because Spinazzola was so good last year, and then for Italy in the Euros was otherworldly. You know, so we were expecting that at our left back position. I'm sure Mourinho was really excited to have that at the left back position, proving that he can play both ends of the pitch. Uh, and we're going to have to give it time. You know, Karsdorp too. I don't think it was a terrible performance, but not a great performance. Yeah, I, I'm expecting him to be a little more influential offensively this season. I, I'd written a piece about that. I thought with Vina, who's a little more defensive minded than Spinazzola, maybe Karsdorp would show his offensive skill set a little bit more, but he's been a bit hesitant, it seems. Um, his average position up the pitch was a little higher than Vina when I looked at the final like average pitch position which shows that maybe this year he will be, but we'll see. Um, yeah, but, I, you know, Reynolds, the fact that Mourinho believes in him, in him enough to keep him around to at least learn with the squad shows that I'm sure that the talent is there. You know, yeah. we mentioned in the last episode, he was not a right back his whole career growing up. Yeah. So there's, there's going to take time. So the, the harsh criticisms of him from the preseason from some Roma Twitter is, mm-hmm. is a bit, I think, you know, a bit much for a kid who, like you said, isn't even old enough to drink in the United States and he's 20 years old. So yeah. um, same with Calafiori, if he can stay healthy, I'm sure he will develop into at least a, a serviceable left back at the very least. And yeah. honestly, if people want another right back, I think the most <laughs> likely scenario of Roma bringing, bringing in another right back is if Santone doesn't get moved to Salernitana or some of teams are interested, he probably gets reintegrated into the squad because maybe he could be useful at some point backing up Karsdorp or something. Yeah, out of all the full ba- out of all the players who were kind of on uh, Mourinho's please leave list, Santon is the one that I could see being reintegrated back into yeah. the squad most easily. Um, and part of that is that it doesn't seem like he's making, you know, crazy demands like certain midfielders who shall remain nameless. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, uh, it is I, I personally do hope that Santon gets a chance at a smaller club because I don't think he's bad. I just think he's not good enough for Roma standards right now. And there's a difference. Um, like there, like I, I always think about, you know, this is a basketball analogy, so bear with me, but uh, there was this real, like the 15th man on like a terrible team in the NBA is still better than like 99.99% of basketball players in the world, you know? Um, and I think that that kind of applies to Santon. Like he's sure he would be the end of the bench for Roma but that doesn't mean that he's not good enough to be like a consistent start starter for Salernitana 
or you know a smaller club. The question is if he wants to have the lower salary that goes with playing for a smaller club, which is really the sticking point for all these players who are kind of past it that Roma wants to get rid of. It's not that they don't want to have playtime. It's that they want playtime and the salary that playing for a club like Roma affords you. Um, so yeah, I, 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 I'm excited for the fullback depth long-term. I think that Califiori and, and uh, Reynolds will probably come good over the course of the next season. Um, I hope that it's not, you know, a forced situation where, mm-hmm. you know, if, if Reynolds get, it's, if Reynolds is forced into the starting lineup because, you know, Karsdorp gets injured again or something, I don't know how well that's going to go, but if he's slowly integrated into it through like ECL and Copa matches, and then eventually brought in, uh, as a Serie A option, I think that would be better for everyone involved. Um, yeah, so I, I think that if we're able to afford it, slowly rotating in these young fullbacks will pay dividends. And I think yeah. that also, just more broadly speaking, sure, some of it's a depth concern issue, but like the fact that Reynolds and Calafiori in particular, there was like no real doubt that they were going to stick around the squad. Tell and where, whereas like Darboe is being told you should go out on loan even though Darboe had a very good end of the season under Fonseca to me, that indicates something. Um, and like, it's, it's not, and I think that if they've proven to Mourinho enough that they're able to be like solid backups or that let's say it's mid October and Vina gets injured, Mourinho stuck with Calafiori as a starting left back. Obviously he's okay enough with that, that Calafiori is sticking around instead of, I don't know, somebody else. Um, so I'm like cautiously optimistic for those young fullbacks. Yeah. I mean, the health of cars are convenient, like you said, will be important because you don't want to have a force situation where Reynolds is thrown out there and then he doesn't perform for a couple of matches. So then you're forced to play like Mancini at right back or something just to kind of fix that issue. So that that'll be important. But I think you're right. The fact that neither of them was told to explore alone or anything else speaks to what Roma sees in them and at least wants to give them the chance to, to grow at the club. And I, I think a Santone, because, you know, the point he's at now, he's like a 30 year old guy who's kind of like, not wanted at a big club, but doesn't really want to go to a small club. And he's one of those examples of guys that are so hyped up when they're 18, 19 years yeah. old. And it just, they're good, but because of the hype, they seem worse than they are because he was under Mourinho when he came up as an 18 year old, he was the next Maldini quote unquote, exactly. and, you know, nobody's yeah. the next Maldini. Nobody's yeah. the next Totti. Like, and that's part, I think part of the issue of Pellegrini um, not to go off on too much of a tangent, because we're starting to get close to the hour mark is yeah. that, Pellegrini is not going to be De Rossi. He's not going to be Totti. He, he could be a very good player for Roma. He could be a very good captain for Roma for, for years to come if he, things go well. But, yeah. you know, people have to realize there's no next, you know, Totti's a generational player yeah. that for a club like Roma to have is like a godsend. Especially you know, as an academy graduate. Yeah. Yes, as an academy graduate, exactly. Because, you know, Zaniolo's got the talent to maybe push into that next tier. But he's not a, you know, for a Roman born and bred academy graduate, the odds of having the Totti is is rare even in a big city like rome so i think you yeah. have to keep expectations realistic for all players including the Reynolds and the califiotes of the world uh, yeah. all the way up to the top of the, the list of our our young core of players that we have yeah. um one or two quick things jim before we just talk quickly about turkey on thursday um mm-hmm. is did we see a new roma in terms of mentality because when we were you know before we came on i mentioned i don't know if roma comes back last year from that red card and tying goal to win this match under Fonseca and maybe under previous managers, the way they did. So tactically, I don't think we saw, I I think that it seemed to me from this first match that Mourinho is still definitely trying to 
slowly adjust the squad towards playing with more of his tactics than with Fonseca's. It seems like we're still in a bit of a transitional phase, tactically speaking. Mentality-wise, though, I think that that's where the big difference here is, and I agree with you. I don't see, even with these same players playing, like let's say that this squad was Roma's squad last season, I don't see them coming back from 1-1, losing a man to a red card, all of those things, and winning that match as convincingly as they did. Uh, I think that this showed a level of like never say die that I've wanted to see in Roma ever since I started following Roma and we don't usually get it. <laughs> yeah. We usually so get I, mental I, breakdowns. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like there's a reason why Roma happens is like such a meme in the Roma community because like we're as a club, we are historically bad when the going get t- gets tough. We're very good at beating up on the little clubs and proving that we're good enough to be like in the top four but we're never good enough against the rest of the top four to be anything other than like either, you know, 15 points behind first place or, you know, barely on the cusp of champions league football. Like that's been our peak for a long time in part because the Gialarossi have not been good enough at, you know, getting punched in the face and responding, you know, like the battle plan goes out the minute with the window, the moment you get punched in the face and this Roma showed a, determination to move forward past losing going a man down past losing their advantage against Fiorentina and that was really admirable and I hope that that continues Uh, I do think that there are a lot of players who even last season it was obvious that with the right manager they could really develop that mentality Um, I think that players like Mancini and Ibanez are players who are quite obviously can be you know like Jose Mourinho's bastards um, (laughs) if you need them to be. Uh, And the problem was that as much as everyone liked Fonseca, I don't think that he instilled that kind of mentality in the squad. Um, So if Mourinho is able to do that uh, with a lot of players, I think it'll be good for Roma in the long run because it might just change the mentality that, to be honest, we even had in the Toti days where if things started going wrong for the club, everything went wrong. Um, And it was really encouraging to see that change. Yeah. Yeah. The mentality has been an issue. You're right. For a long time. Even I, I remember back in the, I think it was the super cope mentality way back in the yeah. like early 2010s when Totti just wailed on the back of Balotelli's legs when things started going bad, like even Totti had those, those like flashpoints. Um, and it, it, it's gotta be a controlled flashpoint where you can bounce back from getting a gut punch. Like the one we saw on Sunday, mm-hmm. keeping your cool unlike the way they did against Betis because the referee was an absolute disaster in that preseason match. But um one thing I'll ask along the, the lines of the mentality, how much should we be worried about Zaniolo sending off? Dude, does that bother you at all? I think that if it becomes a trend, we should be worried. Um, I think that the biggest issue that players of any sport who are just so physically dominant struggle with is, you know not knowing how to use their body in just the right way so that they get the goal that they want, but they don't, you know, face the wrath of the, of the referee. Um, You know, this happens in pretty much every sport that I follow. Like if you in, in basketball and baseball, if there's a player who is just obviously like, I think brand loves comparing Zaniolo to like Ken Griffey jr. Um, And if you've got like that kind of player who is just physically a, the perfect player for the sport. Sometimes it 
their body goes further than their brain does when it mm. comes to like making the right decision. And if we see this over the course of the season that Zaniolo keeps on, you know, bumping up against getting more and more yellow and reds, then I'll be worried. For now, I'm not too worried, mainly because it seems to me like this was his first real match back after God knows how many months off. Um, he had a lot to prove against the club that dropped him when he was like 18 years old. Yeah. Um, like there were a lot of emotions tied up in this match for him. I think it like, uh, unless he's just like completely emotionless as a person, which, you know, his Instagram indicates that he's not, um, <laughs> I think that this was probably a rough match for him mentally from the word go, even when Roma was winning. Um, I hope that he can kind of get out of that, get out of his own head, uh, over the course of the next couple of weeks. And I think that he probably will, uh, just because we know what a class player he is and we know that, you know, playing against the team that told basically told you you have no future as a footballer after coming back from injuries where people basically wrote you off because those injuries generally mean that you don't have a future as a footballer like all of those things all together make it a whole lot more likely that you're going to get two yellows than not um and i think that if we it, it'll take a little while for some adjustment to happen um for him to figure out how to play under Mourinho, how to figure out how to play with all of these forwards that to a certain extent play a lot more like he does than any other forward that we've had while he's been here. Um, like Jaco played nothing like Zaniolo when Zaniolo blew up. Uh, Meral doesn't play like a Zaniolo. Mkhitaryan doesn't really play like Zaniolo. Like nobody really mm -hmm. played like Zaniolo in the side. And you look at Abraham and Shamurdov, they're definitely not like clones of Zaniolo. But in the way, like I was saying earlier, with Shemurdov, like just like coursing through defenders to set up that assist, that was Zaniolo-esque in my mind. And Abraham setting up that play and just like obviously showing so much effort, that was very much like what I like when I see Zaniolo. So playing with those types of players is also going to be a shift for him. And I think that it, we should press the panic button maybe in a couple months if these keep on being issues. Um, but until then, I don't think it, we should be too worried. Yeah, I agree. I'm sure he was very amped up first match officially, you know, back in Serie A, you know, not counting the Europa um, Conference League and, and you know, the friendlies. Fiorentina passed, you're right. I, I think there was just a lot going on for him. You know, he got that one card early and then, you know, he kind of got away with a shirt tug even before the the second yellow. So I think the, the, the ref did give him a little leash. And, you know, as his reputation grows, you know, those veterans will get away with things a little bit more than than you know a younger player and he's got to build that reputation like you said i think we see it all the time in american sports too certain guys certainly get more leash when they become veterans and are well respected yeah. uh, whether it's in their interactions with the referee or their interactions with other players so i'm not concerned right now he will get his fair share of yellow cards because he does get physical at times uh, you know he's not defensively sound yet things like that um you know and i and i think that it's not something to worry about at this point like you said um so let's look ahead to Thursday because I thought fatigue could have been a little bit of a factor on Sunday in terms of them not closing the match out because they did play in Turkey on Thursday, flew back and had mm -hmm. to play about 48 hours after coming back to, to Italy. Um, yeah. So, you know, this time around, at least they're at home. They don't have to travel. They're up 2-1. Uh, you know, that performance by Roma wasn't the greatest, but Eldor got that winning goal, which made it feel a lot better than if, you know, maybe they were coming back 1-1. Mm -hmm. um, what are you looking for on Thursday from Roma? considering that this is pretty much a do or die now to keep the conference league alive. I'm looking for a clean sheet. I, I mean, like, obviously I'm looking for a win, but I would really like to, we've won our first two matches, but we haven't 
had a clean sheet yet. And I think that that's the next step to be able to show that, you know, the Jalorossi aren't going to let defensive brain farts just totally tank their hopes long-term. Um, and like so far to a certain extent, we've been lucky uh, that those goals that we've allowed haven't caused major problems that we've just had more offensive firepower than the other clubs we've been playing. Um, I do think that we need to show more defensive integrity long-term and not even blaming the center backs there, just, you know, <laughs> looking at players like Veritu who make that mistake. Like you can't make those mistakes yeah. and expect to be in the top four or to go far in any competition, even if it's as backwater as the ECL. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, this is a match where, you know, even though Travis Bonsworth got some, you know, household names, especially for Serie A fans, um, you know, this is where Roma has to show that they are a big club, so to speak. In, in yeah. the Conference League, you, Tottenham, and one or two other clubs are the name brands in that conference league. And if you're not at least in the quarterfinals and then maybe you get a bad draw and you lose to Tottenham or something, I, there, there should be no yeah, excuse. What are you doing? Yeah. 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 And I think it's a perfect place for, for Mourinho to really start instilling that winning mentality, especially if he can just rotate some of those younger players. So he's not wearing out his veterans. Yeah. I expect Roma to come out with a strong lineup again. I know it's a lot of matches in a short time to open the season, but in, you know, after Sunday's Salernitana match, there is an international break. So some of the players will get a rest. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Roma will kind of be on the same footing as a lot of the other big clubs in Italy in terms of scheduling. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I, I at first would have said maybe Zaniolo gets this match off because he's played two matches in a row. But considering he got the red card after 57 minutes and isn't available Sunday, I think maybe we see him play again. Yeah. Could this be the match? Maybe you rest Mkhitaryan or Pellegrini? Maybe. But, I, you know, at the same time, I think that Mourinho really wants to go for it. Maybe he tries to kill the match off by halftime and then rest some guys yeah. uh, could be another option. But I think you're right. A clean sheet would be a great thing to see, even if it's a, a one zero or even a zero zero at this point, even though no goals would be a little disappointing. I think the clean sheet would be the, the thing that would really make this feel really good because they have given up goals in the first two matches. And Mourinho is the guy who's supposed to solidify the defense. So yeah, I expect Roma to win. I'd, I'd be shocked if they don't win the tie, whether it's yeah. with a draw or a victory. Mm-hmm. Um, anything less would be very disappointing if they get knocked out of this competition. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. One thing that I'm kind of hoping for is I would be really interested in seeing Borja um, get like a good chunk of minutes in the East in this tie. Um, I understand why it might not happen. You know, obviously you're still trying to get Eldor and uh, Abraham really gelled in with the side. So there's definitely an argument to be made that you don't want to play Mayoral here. At the same time, I would find it kind of suspect if the Jalorossi literally let the guy who was their top scorer last season run on the bench the entire season. Um, and I think that he would probably be pretty annoyed too, understandably. Uh, obviously, he's on loan. Obviously, you know, I, I'm not confident that the Jalorossi are going to pick up that 20 million option that they have for him next summer. At the same time, I was thinking about this earlier. This is the best forward depth that Roma has had arguably since the early 2000s. Yeah. Um, like Abraham and Shamuradov with Mayoral are like three different types of forwards who are all at least like class enough to play for like an EL side and be a starter, you know? Um, which we haven't really had <laughs> um for a long time. We've always had one incredible forward. And then a bunch of other guys who, you know, because almost because of the stardom of that one star forward, either are mediocre or don't get the chance to grow. Um, so I'm hoping that 
Mourinho recognizes the depth that he has at the forward position and decides that ECL is like Borja's competition for him to just boss around in and rack up the goals. Um, I'm not confident that'll happen, but that's like on my wish list of things that I'd like to see, um, especially against Trabzonspor. Yeah, and I don't know if we'll see it, like you said, this one, because they're still, you know, working Shamordov and, and Tammy. And, but I think if they get to the group stage, that's the perfect perfect stage for him to at least get his minutes and save minutes on the legs of some of the other guys. Yeah. Um, you know, so we'll see what happens Thursday and then on Sunday against Salernitana. And then we mm-hmm. get that little bit of break and, you know, we go from there. Um, just, you know, the market closes in about a week. I think it's exactly a week from today. Today's the 24th. So yeah, a week from today, uh, like we said, the only other position we expect Roma perhaps to bring in would be a defensive midfielder. Um, not too many rumors right now. I saw zone Z is, you know, looking at a middle East destination possibly, but wants that, you know, golden handshake, as we called it last week to leave for like 1.5 million. Yeah. We'll see if anything comes of that. Uh, Olsen is being pushed towards Sheffield United by the club. But again, that's a championship team, not a premier league side. So does he go? Who knows? Um, I know that Fatio has got a two year deal apparently on the table from Genoa, but he's got to see if he would take a cut in salary. Uh, Pastore, God, nobody's taking that 8 million, you know, a year salary off Roma's hands. Um, and then there's, um, who did I leave out? Santon, who's got some offers from the Salernitanos of the world, apparently, but like we had mentioned earlier, might be the easiest one to reintegrate into the side. Yeah. Uh, if Roma is going to bring in a defensive midfielder, though, a sale has to be made first. That is very clear from all the papers, even the ones that throw the rumors around to say, like, there's a done deal for Roma, but it's not yeah. done until there's salary cleared. So we'll see. Um, you know, by the next time Jim and I record, maybe next week, we might have more clarity on this. But, you know, you guys can keep an eye on the rumors. You know, we'll have everything on the site, but I, I'm not expecting anything in the next day or two, unless especially Zonzi would be the one probably that would have to go unless a Diawara is sold, which doesn't seem likely. So we'll see. Um, anything you want to leave the listeners with, Jim? Uh, no, but thanks so much for listening, guys. Yeah, thanks again for listening. Keep an eye on the site. We'll have all our regular match day coverage for both Trabzonspor and for Salernitana coming up this week. And uh, I'm sure we'll be back after the Salernitana match most likely. So thanks for listening and uh, we'll talk to you guys all soon.